we come to, this evening to uh, bid farewell to Elijah, having been uh, following events in his life over the last few weeks. So we're coming to read from second book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, and you'll find that on page 369, if you're using one of the church uh, Bibles. Page 369, 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah is taken up to heaven. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elisha said to him, Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elijah and asked him, I went up to Elisha, getting in trouble here, aren't we? Went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me. What can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. And he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Let's just read on the next few verses as well. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we, your servants, have fifty able men. 
Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. And when they returned to Elisha who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? That's the word of the Lord for us this evening. So, we, uh, we come this evening to say goodbye to uh, the prophet uh, Elijah. And uh, I, I guess if you asked uh, people to say, um, you know, who, uh, who would you name out of the, the Old Testament prophets? Um, some people uh, might say Jeremiah or Isaiah, but uh, many people would, would say Elijah. And certainly of the prophets who never uh, wrote a, a book in the, that's included in the Old Testament. Um, I think Elijah was too busy with other things to sit down and write books. Um, he would probably be the one that most of us would, uh, would pick on uh, as the best, the best known of the uh, Old Testament prophets. And here he uh, caps a, a dramatic life with, a, if you like, a, a dramatic departure from uh, this world with uh, taken up to heaven in a whirlwind with a chariot of fire and the horses of fire um, separating him and Elisha as they walked along together. So this was uh, a dramatic end to a dramatic life. So when you think back over what we've been uh, looking at in Elijah's life over these last uh, few weeks, what, uh, what do you particularly remember about uh, Elijah? What things come to mind uh, perhaps above all, you may think of the, the confrontation uh, with, uh, with Ahab, King Ahab, as Elijah stood up to him. Um, and uh, the first mention we have of Elijah is he seems to come very suddenly on the scene and uh, confronts uh, Ahab and saying there'll be no rain. Um, and then he, he takes off again. Or perhaps you think of uh, Elijah's stay with the widow of Zarephath and how he revived, uh, her, brought her son uh, back to life. Perhaps you remember his relations with uh, Obadiah, one of the prophets who somehow managed to keep in with uh, King Ahab, uh, uh, keep, uh, keep close to him, and how Elijah put his life at risk by saying to Obadiah, well, you, you go and tell King Ahab uh, that I'm coming to see him, and Obadiah says, oh, what, what are you trying to do? You're trying to take my life from me because he knew Elijah was just as likely not to turn up and then Obadiah's uh, life would be threatened by Ahab. Or perhaps above all, you may remember Elijah uh, challenging um, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and calling down fire from heaven to uh, consume a sacrifice in the name of uh, the Lord and to show that the Lord truly is God, is Lord of Lords. Or perhaps you remember Elijah as, as then running away from Jezebel, from Ahab's wife, and uh, sitting down miserably and, and saying, I, I don't want to live any longer, I want my life uh, to, to end now, I can't take any more. And uh, God's rebuke of Elijah in that uh, situation or perhaps you remember the situation in which Elijah, or God, met with Elijah um, 
not in the dramatic events, but in the still small voice or the gentle whisper as uh, Elijah waited for God to speak to him. So those were all parts of Elijah's life, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows. And uh, he was very much a, a larger-than-life character, as you think of all these events woven into one, one life. And his passing away that we've just read about was uh, no less dramatic, a real sort of 3D event. If they do a 3D spectacular um, in film, then this would make a, be a good, uh, uh, a good choice of something to, to portray in, in full colour and 3D. really is a very dramatic departure. So how, how do we get a handle on somebody like Elijah with so many facets, so many different things going on in his life? So I want to, want to sort of take two, two truths about Elijah and see how we can somehow hold them together. Can we put them together? One is, Elijah was a man just like us. He was a human being. James tells us that in the New Testament, that uh, Elijah was a man just like us, or a man of, of like feelings, of like sentiments, of, of like passion uh, as us. He felt the same things. He went through the same kinds of experiences, the same emotions as we do. And we, and we can see that from, you know, Elijah had highs, he had lows. He wasn't always up on the top of the hill. Sometimes he was down in the valley. So Elijah, on the one hand, was uh, a person, a human being, just like you, just like me. But then we have this dramatic event. The second thing, Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Um, that's not something we would expect, I don't think, um, with this, uh, the, the chariot of fire. So he, this was, was something spectacular. Elijah, yes, was, was a person just like us, but there was something very special, something very different, something very dramatic about him to the extent that God uh, took him to himself in this uh, dramatic and, and demonstrative uh, way. He was a very human person, but God's very spectacular hand was upon him, both in his life, like the events on Mount Carmel, and in his death. Uh, taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. Here's a question. Do you, would you have liked to share a flat with Elijah? Would you have liked to share a house with Elijah? Not so sure. I think he would have been quite a difficult person to live with. Um, would you, I asked uh, Pastor Jeff, would you like to have Elijah as one of your church members? Um, <laughs> for, <laughs> one of the elders, maybe. Yes, all right. So, Elijah was, was somebody who wasn't easy to get on with, probably, but he was somebody whom God very clearly used in very dramatic ways. And, and how do we hold together the very the, the ordinary human aspects of Elijah's life and, and the extraordinary uh, aspects that uh, we've become familiar with as we look at what, uh, what he did and how God worked through him? And the, the passage that we've read uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2, and we'll be looking a little bit at chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 2 Kings um, as we sort of bring Elijah's life uh, to an end in our series. Um, we, we see this, uh, this dramatic end as, as God sent what presumably was angels, these, the, the chariot of fire, the horse of fire. Uh, God sent uh, angels to take him 
take Elijah to himself. And no, to- no tomb, no grave for Elijah, no earthly resting place. Those 50 prophets searched for three days and they couldn't find him anywhere. God had truly taken him uh, to himself to be with him. And why was he so special in God's sight that God would do that uh, for Elijah particularly? And Elijah plays uh, a big part too in, in, in New Testament um, teaching and, and events. Right at the end of the Old Testament, in, in the book of Malachi, the last, I think it's the last verse, or the next to the last verse, there is this um, prophecy saying, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So the Jews were, somebody, were somehow expecting an Elijah figure to come before the Lord's Messiah came. And um, so when Jesus came, some people thought that Jesus himself was Elijah, this Elijah figure, come back. Um, but uh, Jesus actually said, no. Um, they were saying, well, if you're the Messiah, what, what, why hasn't Elijah come? And Jesus says, well, actually, uh, look at John the Baptist. He, in fact, is the one who's preparing the way. Um, he is the, uh, the one who takes uh, Elijah's place in, the, in that prophecy. So Elijah really is interwoven in, in the New Testament as well. And, of course, as we mentioned, James mentions him as uh, one who was uh, like us. He was a man like us, but he, he prayed fervently and God answered his prayers. He was a man of prayer. Elijah was one of the ones who, with Moses, Elijah and Moses, who appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, and when Jesus uh, speaks those words from the cross that we were looking at uh, two or so weeks ago, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, and the people who did not understand what Jesus was saying in Aramaic, picked on those words, Eli, my God, and uh, thought that he was calling Elijah. And so they said, wait, let's see if Elijah comes to help him. So Elijah was the first name that sprang to people's minds when they heard those words of Jesus on the cross. So in, in all these ways, Elijah has a very, very special place in God's plan and purpose. And his departure that we've read of here in in 2 Kings chapter 2 is a mark of God's uh, approval on his life. We may not look for such a departure, but we look for uh, that um, mark of approval, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. That's something that we look forward to at the end of a life lived uh, for God, a life lived walking with God. What I, what I just want to do is to look at three um, areas of Elijah's late relationships as a, as a clue to his life and how he lived. I don't, I don't think Elijah had any really easy relationships. They were all a bit prickly. Um, but you think of, of his relationships with those who opposed him, with Ahab, uh, Jezebel, and then lately, in, at the beginning of Two Kings, with King Ahaziah, um, his relationships with his fellow prophets, Obadiah and uh, Elisha, 
and uh, think too of uh, his relationship with his heavenly father, with God. So he lived a life of passion and action to uphold the rule of God and the name of God. And as we look just in these uh, two chapters of, of 1 and 2 Kings, of, of 2 Kings 1 and 2, um, they just remind us again how Elijah related to different kinds of people, uh, to his opponents uh, and also to his colleagues and also to God. So thinking about Elisha's relationship with, uh, with his opponents, he confronted King Ahab through a large part of his, his ministry was, was uh, to confront Ahab. And uh, if you just turn back a couple of pages, two or three pages, to, to 1 Kings chapter 18, um, and just there verses, uh, verses 17 and 18, and this is where... Um, Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah was coming to see him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And then verse 17, when he, saw to, when he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? And Elijah replies, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. So this was the areas in which Elijah was set to challenge King Ahab and to say to him effectively, you're you're the king of Israel, you're the one who is supposed to give a lead in Israel's following the Lord and yet uh, you have uh, abandoned the Lord, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and you're following other gods, you're following the Baals. And you'd think... By the time we get to 2 Kings, the beginning of 2 Kings, um, if you turn back to 2 Kings chapter 1, Ahab now has died. Elijah has outlived Ahab. King Ahab has been killed in battle. And Ahab's successor, Ahaziah, has taken the throne of Israel. And you'd think he might have learnt a lesson uh, from Ahab's uh, waywardness, but far from it. Ahaziah manages to fall out of a window and injure himself and he wants to know if he's going to survive or not. And rather than turning to the Lord, the God of Israel, he sends his messengers to go to uh, consult with Baalzebub, the God of Ekron. And in verse 3 of 2 Kings chapter 1 we read, The angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask him, Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Baalzebub, the God of Ekron? So again, Elijah has this ministry of challenging somebody in authority, the king no less, and saying to him, what are you doing? You're supposed to be leading our country in godly lines, our nation uh, to follow the Lord, and yet you're going off to another God as if the God of Israel just did not exist, as if the Lord was not there at all. So again, Elijah is led to this ministry of confrontation uh, to to a a ruler, somebody in authority who should know better. As we come up to a general election, uh, are there areas in which Christian values need to be put forward? 
Today there's been, there's been a lot of talk about Christians being marginalised, of being, of being almost considered to be people who are troubling the nation. Those who are uh, asking awkward questions or who maintain values that are no longer acceptable in today's society. So how do we, how do we tackle issues uh, and get involved? Jeff's already mentioned uh, Chris's uh, book, Just Politics. I've started to look at it this afternoon. And it would, be a good, it would be a good read as the general election approaches to think about how do we get involved uh, in uh, bringing Christian values uh, to the nation uh, and particularly as it concerns Parliament. We're going to have a look at, a, at a, um, a, a, an extract now. Since the, the title for the sermon was given as Chariot of Fire, I thought some people might turn up expecting to see chariots of fire. Um, So I want to take a a short clip from uh, Chariots of Fire where um, Eric Liddell is is challenging those in authority and saying, I'm a Christian. Eric Liddell uh, came from a strong Christian family in Scotland. He played rugby for Scotland in the 1920s and he was chosen to uh, run the 100 metres race for Great Britain in the Paris Olympics of 1928. And as he was, literally, as he was boarding the boat to cross the channel to Paris with the Olympic team, he heard that the first heats for the 100 metres were going to be on Sunday. And this really troubled his conscience and he, and he, he tussled with it and felt that he could not run uh, on a Sunday. So, and uh, this, of course raised uh, lots of problems and people felt he was being unpatriotic. And this is where he actually uh, has to stick to his principles in the face of opposition. Ah, excuse me. I suppose you weren't here. Fred Armstrong. Fine. You good. Take you out of yourself a bit. Uh, the Prince of Wales would like to meet you. No. No. No, sir. Wouldn't be right. Little. He is your future king. Are you refusing to shake his hand? Does your arrogance extend that far? My arrogance, sir, extends just as far as my conscience demands. Fine. And let's hope that's wise enough to give you room to maneuver. Splendid. I'll take you to him now. I saw you play for Scotland. To press me no end, ran in a couple of tries from your own half, I remember. Pretty bit so, yes. Well, nice to have you on the same side at last. Excellent effort of Lindsay's, don't you think? He did well, sir. He did indeed. An example to us all. Eric, uh, may I introduce His Grace, the Duke of Sutherland, President of our Olympic Association. How do you do? And our Chairman, Lord Cadogan. Let's see. 
Make yourself comfortable. Cigar? Oh, no, of course you don't. Nor drink. Such is the resolution of the young man you have before you, gentlemen. Lord Birkenhead has advised us as to your attitude towards your participation in the 100 metres heats. Or would your non-participation be more accurate? It would, sir, yes. We were also consulted as to the correct manner in which to approach the French. Something we just can't allow to happen. Going cap in hand to the frogs of all people. Simply out of the question. Simple matter of national dignity, Little. Being a patriot, I'm sure you understand. Well, I must say, sir, I felt it was an impractical suggestion from the start. Well, why did you damn well say so, ma'am? As an athlete, you value economy of effort. I wanted to run. And I was desperate enough to try anything. Well, all that being understood, we decided to invite you in for a little chat to see if there's any way that we can help resolve the situation. There's only one way to resolve the situation. That's for this man to change his mind and run. Don't state the obvious, Cadogan. We have to explore ways in which we can help this young man to reach that decision. I'm afraid there are no ways, sir. I won't run on the Sabbath, and that's final. I intended to confirm this with Lord Birkenhead tonight. Even before you called me up in front of this inquisition of yours. Don't be impertinent, Little. The impertinence lies, sir, with those who seek to influence a man to deny his beliefs. On the contrary, Little, we're appealing to your beliefs. In your country, in your king. Your loyalty to them. Yeah, yeah. In my day, it was king first, God after. Yes, and the war to end wars bitterly proved your point. God made countries. God makes kings and the rules by which they govern. And those rules say that the Sabbath is his. And I, for one, intend to keep it that way. Mr. Little, you're a child of your race, as I am. We share a common heritage, a common bond, a common loyalty. There are times when we're asked to make sacrifices in the name of that loyalty. And without them, our allegiance is worthless. As I see it, for you, this is such a time. Sir, God knows I love my country, but I can't make that sacrifice. Come in. Your Royal Highness, Lord Lindsay. I do apologize for barging in like this. Fact is, I am fully aware of Eric's dilemma. And I wondered if I could be so bold as to suggest a possible solution. No. Yes. Another day, another race. What the devil is that supposed to mean? It's quite simple, as a matter of fact, sir. 400 meters. It's on Thursday. I've already got my medal. So why didn't you let Eric take my place in the quarter? I think that's a splendid idea. Can we allow him to change events at such short notice? That's a matter for the committee. We are the committee. I think it's a very good idea. David? All those in favor say aye. 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 Little? And a pleasure, chap. Just to see you run. 
Well, that's settled. Sticky moment, George. Mm. Thank God for Lindsay. I thought the lad had us beaten. He did have us beaten, Effie. And thank God he did. I don't quite follow you. Well, the lad, as you call him, is a, a true man of principle and a true athlete. His speed is a mere extension of his life, its force. We sought to sever his running from himself. For his country's sake, yes. No sake is worth that, Effie. Least of all, a guilty national pride. So we may not be called to stand up in that kind of arena, but there may well be areas in which uh, we need to get involved in bringing Christian principles, Christian standards before those who make decisions. Sport on Sundays is probably no longer the major battleground, but it's an example perhaps of how we may need to get involved in preventing the erosion of of Christian values uh, in our nation and uh, to be in positions to put our our case where we can. So, relations with opponents and then uh, very quickly relations with uh, his colleagues, with uh, Elijah's, Elijah's relations with his colleagues. We mentioned Obadiah, who he put in fear of his life. And here in this passage, uh, his uh, relations with uh, Elisha. Remember, he went to, he went to call Elisha to, uh, to, to follow him, to be his, uh, to be his assistant. Um, uh, back in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, as God says to, El- to Elijah to encourage him, when Elijah thinks he's all on his own, God says to him, no, there are, there are, there are, there are still 5,000 people remaining who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And Elijah seems to take that as an encouragement to uh, not just to take everything on himself, but to share uh, the burden of uh, the prophet's life with others. He calls Elisha. Uh, and um, here... Uh, As we read in in 2 Kings chapter 2, he seems to be testing uh, Elisha's commitment. He says, uh, you know, you wait here. God's called me on uh, to the next place. And uh, Elisha says, uh, no, I'm I'm committed. I'm coming with you. And again, as uh, God calls Elijah on, uh, he effectively says says to Elisha, are you sure you want to go all the way with me? Do you have the the staying power? Do you have the commitment to go all the way? So Elisha has his commitment tested uh, by Elijah. And then we read as as, um, Elijah takes this last journey, he seems to go to visit each of the the companies of the prophets or the schools of the prophets. Um, And he he seems to have developed some kind of a ministry with these people. They recognize him as their their master, their principal, their head. And uh, Elijah seems to have spent quite a a bit of his his, uh, later life encouraging and helping um, these uh, groups of prophets uh, in Gilgal, in Bethel, in Jericho. And now he goes back to visit them uh, and presumably to encourage them on his final journey. So, um, 
Elijah has these kinds of challenging, testing uh, relationships uh, with, uh, with his colleagues, pushing them and challenging them. And uh, as uh, then at, at the final uh, stage, Elijah says to Elisha, what, what would you like me to do for you before I am taken from you? And Elisha's reply is, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Probably what he was saying was that the double portion was the, the portion for the, the heir, the eldest son, the one who was to inherit from the father, uh, received the double portion. And probably effectively what Elisha is saying here is, let me be your successor. Okay, you have all these schools of, of the prophets that you've been mentoring and working with, but uh, let me be the one who takes over your ministry. Let me be the one who is your true successor. Uh, Maybe uh, maybe Elisha did uh, perform twice as many miracles as Elijah as uh, some people have worked out, but primarily I think what Elisha is saying here is, uh, let me uh, be your successor. And Elijah's reply is interesting, isn't it? He says, you've asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And this seems to be Elijah saying, well, I can't promise you that. Only, only God can do that for you. Um, but if you stay committed right to, to the end, uh, to my uh, being taken uh, from the earth, then uh, God may, may do that for you. So he is uh, leaving it effectively in, in God's hands. And he passes on the mantle as the mantle falls uh, from Elijah as he's taken. Elisha takes up the mantle. And uh, what's, the, what, what's happening here? It's, it's not that there's anything in the mantle, but it's that, uh, that same spirit that was on Elijah, the, the Holy Spirit of God that empowered Elijah is now empowering Elisha to do those same things. So I think here's the question for, for each of us. What, what, is, uh, what is God challenging us to do with, with our lives? What, what is the, the spirit that we need in our lives uh, to do uh, and go all the way with God and to do what he wants to do, what he wants us to do? And then relations with God. What were Elijah's relations with God? We've looked at his relations with the, his opponents relations with his colleagues, his relations with God. Well, there were high points and low points, weren't there? Literally, quite, quite often in these readings, you find Elijah is up on the top of a hill or on Mount Carmel, but also at times he's low, he's down in the valley, he's sitting under a tree, he's being despondent and wanting his life to be taken away. I think the key thing that comes to me here is that he was honest and, and open with God. He didn't try and pretend uh, that he was happy when he wasn't, didn't try and pretend um, that he was feeling uh, uh, fulfilled when, when he wasn't, but he was honest and open with God. <coughs> and um, perhaps above all, that he was, he was sensitive uh, to God's uh, leading. A number of times um, we read you know, how the word of the Lord came to Elijah Uh, So he was sensitive to what God was saying to him. A couple of times in chapter 1, when uh, Ahaziah is is looking for uh, guidance, the angel of the Lord 
comes to Elijah and says, go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria. And then again, uh, as he has uh, two groups of people sent to him, and he refuses to go with them to, um, to, to King Ahaziah, when the third group comes, uh, the angel of the Lord uh, says to him, no, you can go with this group, that's fine, nothing will happen to you. And Elijah responds to that. So Elijah is, is listening to what God is saying to him, and he's obedient uh, to God's direction. He's doing what God says to him. And right up to the end, as he crosses the Jordan, actually leaving the land of Israel, unlike Joshua who came in to the, to, to the, to the promised land, into Canaan, uh, Elijah, Elijah crosses the Jordan out of the land of Israel in, uh, before he goes to be with his Lord, before he goes to be with God. Similar to Moses. Moses died just outside the promised land. Elijah too dies just outside the promised land. And in many ways, Elisha uh, fulfilled, um, carried on Elijah's ministry in the same way as Joshua fulfilled Moses' uh, ministry and carried, carried that on. And Elijah's departure from the earth was a mark of God's very special approval on his life. And those, uh, those invisible sort of angelic hosts, those armies of angels that had really inspired his ministry and carried him through his ministry now became visible uh, to lead him on that final journey into God's presence. The chariot of fire, the horse of fire, the whirlwind taking Elijah up into heaven in a very dramatic way. And uh, when Elisha sees this, he says, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha seems to recognize in that that uh, it was Elijah who was the true champion of the nation of Israel. Not, not the kings who were wayward and apostate, but rather it was Elijah himself uh, who was the true champion of the nation of Israel. So then, Elijah was definitely a, a one-off person. Uh, nobody quite like him. Dramatic, spectacular. Um, are we uh, supposed to emulate Elijah? Or are we supposed to be, try and make ourselves like Elijah? No. Because you and I, we're, we're one-off people as well. We are people that God has made the way we are. God made Elijah the way he is, who he was, and, and used him in the way that he was suited to. And how does God want to use uh, you? Are you like Elijah? Are you sensitive to what God is saying to you through his word as, as you read it? Are you listening to God's voice to see what he has to say to you? And once you hear his voice, are you, are you obedient? Are you willing to respond to what uh, you understand him to be saying to you? It's true that uh, if, if, if we're sensitive to God in the way that Elijah was, if we respond to his direction, then God will use us. God will use us in the way that he knows we're best suited to. may not be dramatic like Elijah's life was, might be, who knows? But Elijah was a man just like us, just like you, just like me. But he prayed earnestly, sincerely, and God heard him and answered him. And look what God did for Elijah. And I wonder what will God do for you 
if you also seek his way. We look for those words, well done, true and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And Elijah, in many ways, uh, was a a pale reflection of, of Jesus. Jesus also challenged accepted values. He passed on the mantle to his followers, to his disciples. He was obedient to his father's will. He responded to his father's voice. And just to close with these uh, words from 1 Timothy 3.16, a creed, if you like, an early creed that Paul writes in in, uh, writing to Timothy. Jesus appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. As we have been rejoicing at Easter time particularly, Elijah could challenge people, he could challenge sin, but he couldn't resolve the problem. He couldn't make a lasting change in the nation of Israel. Only Jesus can make a lasting change. Jesus conquered death, Jesus conquered sin, and that victory is an ongoing victory that we celebrate every day. If We are walking in the Lord's uh, way. Elijah, yes, Elijah was a great servant of God. But only Jesus is the one who is both human and divine. And Jesus alone won victory over sin. And he lives in glory to bring us a lasting peace in our hearts and in our lives. A peace with God. And Elijah may be great, but he couldn't do that. Only Jesus can win the lasting victory over sin and death. So I pray that that God will uh, use those lessons from Elijah's life as we seek to be obedient, as we seek for God to use us, as uh, we seek to be imitators, not of Elijah, but imitators of Jesus, our Saviour.